G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon focuses on Mark chapter 8 verses 1 to 21 and it's entitled Following Fulfillment and it looks at how we find fulfillment, true fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We hope you During enjoy those days another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. The disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present after he had sent them away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The disciples came and began, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to, to you, you Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Well, please pray for me as I pray for you and as we uh, look at what um, this account of Jesus feeding the 4,000 has to teach us about him and about us today. May the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, yesterday I was walking around the Creekside Markets with my son, Micah, and he began to ask me this question. He began to nag and nag and nag. He said, Dad, can we go over to the stores and buy something? Now, it was strange because he didn't actually know what he wanted to buy. He just wanted to buy something. He knew that in, simply in the act of purchasing something, 
he would find that little hit of happiness that we so often mistake for fulfillment. Uh, the joke was on me, though, because at the end of the day, I went home with a wooden um, Christmas tree. And I, as I was carrying this enormous Christmas tree, which was about the size of me, I was like, oh, <laughs> perhaps I just wanted to buy something, too. <laughs> well, after looking at two of Jesus' healing miracles last Sunday, today we're looking at Mark 8 and a feeding miracle. As Jesus has seen resistance to his message grow... He's also seen his popularity rise, so much so that his reputation now precedes him. Large crowds are crushing around Jesus, and try as he might, he can't get away from the crowds to teach. In Mark 8, uh, we read that during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. Today, Jesus is going to teach us where to find something that we're all looking for, fulfillment. And we'll see the compassion of Jesus, the hopelessness of idols, the maths of grace, and we'll see where to find true fulfillment. So first, let's look at the compassion of Jesus. Now, if you feel like you've heard this story before, uh, you're right. Um, There are two accounts of mass feedings in Mark. So what we're going to do now is we're going to compare the two stories. And first, we're going to look at the similarities. You can see that in both stories, the crowds gather in a remote place. In both stories, Jesus wants to feed the crowd. He has compassion on them. Next, Jesus takes bread and blesses bread and fish and blesses them. It's a simple meal uh, and a simple prayer and a simple act. And then Jesus gives the food to the disciples who then give it on to the crowds. And then baskets of leftovers are gathered. And then Jesus leaves afterwards in a boat, which seemed like the only way he could get away from the crowds. Now, there's so many similarities between these stories that uh, some have actually postulated, um, some scholars have actually uh, wondered if this is just the same story uh, told from uh, different uh, perspectives. Um, But what we'll see later in the passage is that Jesus performs these two fitting miracles for a reason. And also, there are so many differences between the two accounts. First of all, um, the first time around where he feeds the 5,000, he only teaches for a day. When he feeds the 4,000, he teaches for three days. Perhaps there were less people because he was teaching for so long. Who knows? (laughs) Um, Next we see the disciples tell Jesus to send the crowds away. For the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus has compassion on the people. For the feeding of the 5,000, there are five loaves and two fish. For the feeding of the 4,000, there are seven loaves and a few small fish. Notice how he does more with less the first time around and less with more the second time around. And then finally, there are 12 basketfuls left over after feeding of the 5,000, and then there are seven basketfuls, big basketfuls, left over after the feeding of the four. Now, there is so much we could draw from this passage, uh, and I'm going to come back to the numbers later. 
But quite simply, I want you to notice the compassion of Jesus here. Jesus feeds our minds and our bodies. Sometimes we're tempted to pit one against the other as if it was more important to feed people's um, hunger rather than satisfy their souls or more important to teach people about the Bible than to care for their physical needs. But both are important to Jesus. He also gives his disciples an opportunity to share the abundance that comes from him. He shares the food with the disciples who then share it on with others. Jesus didn't want people to collapse on their way home for lack of food. So he uses what his disciples have at hand to care for them. Now Jesus could have fed millions, but it was only those who looked for him who found fulfillment in him that day. Friends, here we see the goodness and kindness of Jesus and his heart for the people. But at the end, Jesus goes away in his boat. And um, in the next passage, we see the hopelessness of idols. After this joyful miracle, Jesus sails to the other side of the sea, where he encounters this hopelessness. As soon as he lands, the Pharisees find him. And Mark tells us in verse 14 that the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Sadly, these people are not asking for proof of Jesus' power or of the reality of God. They're trying to trap him. The Pharisees were part of a religious renewal movement, which sadly over generations had lost sight of God and genuine faith and had began to idolize, to make into an ultimate thing, external religious devotion didn't matter if your heart was pure or if you were truly kind, as long as you were doing all the religious stuff. And so you can almost feel Jesus groan. He's healing blind people and deaf people. He's raising people from the dead. He's casting out countless demons. He's calming storms, walking on water, feeding tens of thousands of people. And these people want a sign? It's ridiculous. And so Jesus says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And with that, Jesus leaves across to the other side of Galilee. It's the hopelessness of idols. Jesus can't help these people because their idols are too big and strong and have too much of a pull on them. Now notice how people who come to Jesus begging for help receive it. People who come to Jesus for teaching and expect nothing from it go away with their souls nourished and their bodies. Jesus had no problem in giving people signs. But Jesus knows that he can't help you if you're more invested in your idols than in him. Jesus highlights the core of the problem while he's on the boat. In verse 14 we read, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Jesus warns against the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, what does Jesus have against yeast? Yeast was a rising agent, and when it was added to bread, of course, it rose. 
And if you've ever made bread, you know that yeast makes the bread fluffy and full. It's a chemical reaction that takes place releasing carbon dioxide as bacteria in the yeast consume sugar and multiply. So what does yeast have in common with the Pharisees and Herod? Well, back in the book of Exodus, at the beginning of the Bible, 1,500 years before Jesus, God told the people not to eat bread with yeast in it before their escape from Egypt. The people didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise, so they ate unleavened bread, flat bread, as a sign of their preparedness and obedience to God. By eating bread without yeast, the Hebrew slaves in Egypt rejected the idolatry of Egypt in favor of the one true God. The king of Egypt had a hard heart. His heart was too hard to have compassion on the Hebrew people. When they asked to be set free, he said no. And then God gave a whole bunch of miracles and a whole bunch of signs, ten in all. And again, Pharaoh hardened his heart again and again. He is the sign of yeast. And the freedom found in in Christ is the unleavened bread. So here, yeast is a symbol of hardness and of heart, a resistance to God and all goodness and love. The Pharisees and Herod hated each other and had very little in common. The Pharisees, again, were religious, dogmatic people, and Herod was a full-blown hedonist. He was the non-Jewish king of the Jews who murdered his siblings trying to hang on to power, who married his sister-in-law trying to satisfy his lusts, and had wild parties trying to fulfill his empty life. So what do the two have in common? They both worshipped idols, and they both had hard hearts. Both heard about the miracles of Jesus and both knew of the prophecies about him, but Jesus threatened their idols, and so they were threatened by him. Instead of coming to Jesus to fulfill their deepest longings, they made plans to kill him. And both were instrumental in Jesus' death on the cross. Like yeast, hard-heartedness spreads. Like yeast, idolatry rises up in us and puffs us up. Like yeast, jealousy and pride can contaminate a whole community. As the disciples bicker over not having enough bread, they forget that the one who has just fed 4,000 people is sitting with them right in the boat. The bread of life is in their midst and they're going, oh, we only have one loaf of bread. Jesus sees this and warns them against grasping for idols. Friends, this is a cautionary tale for us. I can think of so many times God has provided for me and my family miraculously. In 2013, I quit my job, uh, we bought a house, and I enrolled into study for ministry full-time. But God was faithful to Zoe and I, and then later to Micah, and we were never without Yet sometimes I still fret about who's going to provide for my family. This is why weekly gathered worship services are vital for your faith. Church prevents truth decay. Every time we meet, we remember God's faithfulness 
we drive doubts away and encourage one another to give thanks, to pray without ceasing, and to delight in God's promises. Sunday morning is the most important time of the week for me because it drives away the hopelessness of idols and reminds me that true fulfillment can only be found in Jesus. And this is why Jesus schools us on the maths of grace in verse 17. Verse 17 says, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they answered. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? If there's a key verse in this passage, it's that question, do you still not understand? Jesus isn't getting stroppy with the disciples because they're worried. It's because their hearts are hardening. After time with the Pharisees, they're forgetting Jesus' ability to provide for them. They've seen Jesus perform all these miracles, but again, they're going, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust you, Jesus. I don't know if you've got what it takes. Again, we need to go back to the maths. And that's what Jesus does. There were five loaves for the 5,000, five and five. And there were also two fish that day. And as we saw in the kids' talk, five plus two equals seven. God's number of fullness and completeness. In both miracles, Jesus gives out these meager offerings and the people have their full. Jesus is saying, look what happens when people work with God towards fulfillment. Again, numbers are significant. Twelve is a symbolic number. Jacob had twelve sons, therefore there were twelve tribes of Israel. And again, um, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's at a place called Bethsaida, which was a Jewish region. And so, in gathering up these 12 basketfuls, Jesus is renewing the kingdom of Israel, renewing the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of Israel was always meant to be a light to the world. God didn't just come to save the people of Israel. He saved the people of Israel so that they could in turn share the good news of salvation with the rest of the world. And so when Jesus goes to the region of the Decapolis, that's a region where there are non-Jews. It's a mixed region. And so with the feeding of the 4,000, how many basketfuls of leftovers are gathered up? Seven. An indication that the fullness of God is coming into the whole world. It's available for all people. Friends, this is the maths of grace. When we partner with God in his mission, the goodness of God is multiplied thousands of times over. Chasing fulfillment without Jesus will lead you nowhere. Fullness of life is found in him.
So how are we to do this? How are we to find fulfillment in God? Well, I'm so glad you asked, uh, because Jesus answers this very question at the end of Mark chapter 8. Mark 8 is the middle of the book, and it acts as as a fulcrum, as a hinge, quickening Jesus' path to the cross. And what you see is that this is the core of Mark. And verse 34 gives us an understanding of what it looks like to follow fulfillment. Then Jesus called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Jesus is saying that the path to fulfillment is only found in the path of discipleship. We've all seen rich people who are spiritually poor, successful people who feel like failures inside, and powerful people who are so insecure they can't sleep at night. Jesus knows this. And so he's telling us that whatever we gain in this life, it has no purpose without knowing him. Jesus is the one true path to fulfillment. And therefore, he wants us to have soft hearts. And he wants us to have hard feet, to be ready to lose our lives, to go out into all the world and proclaim his glory. The good news of Mark is that all we need to do to follow for fulfillment and to find it in Jesus is to step out in trust. It's a well-known story, uh, but it's worth repeating here. In 1859, Charles Blondin walked a tightrope 50 metres above Niagara Falls. Then he walked back over on stilts. Uh, then he rode a bicycle over this tightrope. Uh, and then he carried a stove while cooking an omelette. It's a bit of a crazy guy. Finally, he walked backwards to the Canadian side and returned with a wheelbarrow. Then he asked the adoring crowd, Do you believe that I can carry a person across the falls in this wheelbarrow? And the cheering crowd, they'd seen him do all this um, back and forth, and they'd seen him do amazing things. And they said, yes, yes, we believe you can do it. And they were so excited for someone to do it. And then Blondin asked, who will get into my wheelbarrow? No one responded. (laughs) Friends, from this point on, The question asked of us in Mark is, are we prepared to step out in faith and do what it takes to follow Jesus? Are we prepared to follow him all the way to the cross? Next week, we'll look at Mark 9 and Jesus' prediction of his own death. Jesus will show us that there is true greatness and true freedom found in him. But for today, let's soften our hearts to Jesus And let's follow fulfillment in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.